In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. You're listening to the Verhoeven Effect podcast. I'm Conlon. And I'm Nathan. Currently, we are watching network television because me and Nathan do not watch network television. <laughs> we are watching, as it aired, season one of The of the Blacklist, 2014, season two of The Mentalist in 2009. And we're also watching 1985's uh, Miami Vice, the second season of that. And always, we start with The Blacklist, Season 1, Episode 11, The Good Samaritan, Number 106. Original air date, January 13th, 2014, NBC Monday. A serial killer from Liz's past strikes again while Red hunts for his betrayer. Showing our John Camp, written by Brandon Margulis and Brandon Saunier, and directed by Dan Lerner, who he has an interesting career, because if you look it up, he's just kind of a like a reliable TV director. Yeah. But... As a camera operator, he's worked on like a lot of big movies. Oh, like okay. Courage Under Fire, The Witness, uh, Defiance, and Sophie's Choice. Huh. <laughs> two, two, couple World War Two things in there. Yeah. Both involving death uh, camps. Dark. <laughs> I, I was just listening to a podcast where they were reviewing Sophie's Choice because it's a movie they had never seen which is also a movie I've never seen. Oh, you've never seen that? Like, oh, okay. No, I was like, because I just know about it. I'm like, oh, that's sadness. But like, the, but the, but they were surprised that like, oh, this. they thought it was going to be like 100%. They thought it was going to be like 100% like the Nazi camp stuff. Oh. That's really like the last 20 minutes or whatever no. is that. No, it's, <laughs> the rest of it's like, uh, was it a take case in Poland, I think? Yeah. It's been a long time well, since not, I've Well, seen it's it. in New York. Yeah. She's from Poland. Yeah, yeah. It's just. But the majority of it takes place in New York. Yeah. Anyways, I didn't. I wasn't expecting that, so I just, I just knew it was a sad, like, historical based movie that I didn't want to watch. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, it's, it's. I mean, it's not like it's not like the gut punch that like Schindler's List is. Yeah. Because when you watch that, when you're done, you're like, oh, I'm sad. I mean, I'm just <laughs> horrified. Um, Liam Neeson's best performance, I think. But anyway. Um. But it, uh, well, I also heard like, but it's like undeniable how great of an actress Meryl Streep is in that movie. Oh it's yeah, like best performances. So. Oh yeah. Anyways, uh, we start off with some lady is like dropping off her kid at a birthday party, and then we have Frank Whaley shows up, who is a consummate uh, uh, character actor. Yes, uh, he's been in tons of things. He's had a couple of leading roles that are somewhat known. I think the probably the biggest one was called Career Opportunities. He's like a night shift, like guard for like a like a target or something, and it's like him and Jennifer Connelly just messing around at night, and then there's like somebody trying to rob the place or something. Oh, um, okay. And then he was in Swimming with Sharks, where he plays like an assistant who's berated by um, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, Kevin Spacey, or he whose name shall never be mentioned. <laughs> 
I mean, we're not uh, we're not depicting him in a positive light, so it's okay. <laughs> no, we don't have to. You know, all all the stuff with him like didn't it didn't really resonate with me. It's like, oh yeah, he's a creep. But then when he did that thing a couple Christmases ago, where you know he re- randomly releases these YouTube videos, yeah, where he basically talks like the character from House of Cards, and he's like, yeah, you kill them with kindness, and like two days later, the guy commits suicide. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay, I don't know what's going on here, but this is too weird okay that's that's when kevin spacey really started he he was on my radar i was like oh uh, this is weird <laughs> and not because i think it's a conspiracy but because i think he directed that and that guy just probably reacted yeah. that way it's like that's evil that's just, just evil for millions to watch oh there goes my voice again i'm going through my second <laughs> puberty everyone and also frank Lay is the guy that kills jimmy hoffa in the hoffa movie <laughs> oh okay <laughs> but yeah he's been a ton of thing Anyways, yeah i knew i recognize he's a dis- very distinct looking man in this movie or in this tv show i thought of him as evil um oh, what's the comedian's name the guy who does goat boy on saturday night live <laughs> um he's really funny uh what's his name uh well he used to be funny have you seen his recent stuff no, I just remember like his crazy stories on Opie and Anthony. Like that's my yeah, last yeah. reference of him. Why is he a Nazi now or something? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, I was just joking. Oh, God. Okay. Well, never mind. Well, he's not a Nazi. He's just he's he's like um, anti-vaxxer, and he's like going to crowds that like they're there to basically hear him make fun of basically informed people. Oh, well, he's in, doing that now. And it's in, and it's incredibly embarrassed. Jim Brewer. Jim Brewer. Yeah, I thought I thought I thought of this guy as evil Jim Brewer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I liked his crazy stories about him and his dad. I didn't know he was doing that. But did everyone just go crazy the last two years? Like, is there some yeah. mass psychosis in the world? I don't know. There's a there's a weird thing with comedians right now where it's like we're finding out that comedians are a, a bit way more conservative than we've like been led to believe. Uh, but also there's this kind of like uh, comedians always held like the only thing that comedians are like kind of like seen as like a beacon of is like free speech and so they all think that free speech is under attack because if you uh try to make a career off of like belittling people and making fun of people in a very like tactless way that that then when people stop paying to see your stuff that somehow you're canceled and it's a whole weird thing so Oh, I mean, just make fun of rich people and stuff. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, make fun of the people that deserve to be made fun of. But yeah, okay. I mean, that's what it was. Carlin always said, like, punch, you know, punch up, don't punch down. Yeah, don't so. make fun of like people in wheelchairs and stuff. Like, that's not nobody wants that. Unless you're in a wheelchair, <laughs> then you can do it. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, then it's... everybody's uncomfortable and laughing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I like, I like. Trust me, I've I've said this before, and you know how I'm kind of like you know one foot in, one foot out on free speech. I I don't want it to be too abusive, but I also want there to be a format where I can go listen to stuff because I have a horrible sense of humor. But it's not yeah. about particular individuals; it's just in general. I don't mind horrible humor, but then again, yeah. I understand like if you've been a victim of stuff, like you don't want to hear that. And it's like oh, I, I get that. This yeah. is my own personal sickness, you know. I just like horrible. <laughs> Joke, but not like Holocaust jokes or something. Not, I'm not that far, but there is an element. I mean, like, I mean, you'll chuckle at them because it's incredibly tasteless. Yeah, it's like I can't believe someone said that out loud. That's awful. 
but it's funny because you can't believe it, not because you actually think it's funny. Um, I mean, oftentimes on here, we'll talk about like someone being brutally murdered or something. And it's like, because it's so absurd, we'll laugh when we say, and they were murdered. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also pretend too. It didn't really happen. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Jim Brewer, evil Jim Brewer became evil, evil Jim Brewer or not <laughs> evil, just misguided. Uh, yeah. So Frank only shows up. He offers a drink to Karen who's a Karen. Yeah. Uh, and then Karen leaves it to get in her car and then she passes out on the ground and then she wakes up and Frank has Karen tied up in some serial killer room and he just calmly like punctures her lung and like, like breaks a, like her collarbone. And then like, you see her like, like dying as he calls an ambulance. And so like, technically this guy doesn't kill his victims. He like, inflicts so much so many wounds on them at a time that they will die eventually if somebody doesn't save them in time yeah see i didn't know um this this was another horribly creepy blacklist thing because yeah. i because of how they construct language in this show because he because basically this woman drops her kid off at like a ball pit or you know one of those kids fun areas where you you know yeah. chuck e cheese whatever and then she's like kind of in a hurry. She doesn't seem like a bad person. And this guy's being a little too friendly, but he's like, oh no, I'm so-and-so's uncle or whatever. And hands him, hands her the drink. And then she passes out. And I was like, oh, does she work for the government? Is this an assassination thing or what is it? And then she wakes up in the, in the murder surgical suite that's in this guy's garage, like his project garage. And then he says, now I'm going to puncture your lung. And he has surgical tools. And then he describes what her body's going to do when he does that. Because it's like, yeah, your lung's going to deflate and fill with blood. You're going to involuntarily cough. And then we have the sound effect of like off screen, like he's doing it. And you just see your face and that happens. And yeah. I'm immediately thinking like, oh, I hope this guy just gets killed. This guy's just a psycho. Like, I don't like this guy. He's having way too much fun with this and he's way too skilled. Uh, it's like, oh, this is truly an evil, evil person. And then, Which is a great composition or contrast. Because essentially, Red is doing this, yeah, uh, kind of the same thing the whole episode. Yeah, Reddington's the, yeah, that's why I immediately picked up on like, oh, okay, these guys are doing horrible things, but in their minds, it's like, oh, this is justifiable because of, you know, A, B, or C. But yeah, yeah, that's whoever wrote this, like, I'm going to say overall, this episode was a little uneven because there was almost too much big stuff going on. And I yeah. think the serial killer slash revenge guy his story was sort of overshadowed by what was going on with Raven. yeah it's like you have an a b story and there's like a little too much of both yeah and it's, <laughs> it, it doesn't have like that gut punch from the beginning like oh this is going to be a good episode and then raymond goes on and does what he does as a side story and then it's like oh this is going to be really good but then it becomes almost overwhelming and it's like wait a minute which how, how am I supposed to put this together? What am I following? And yeah, it's, it's, a. Well, I think it was a good, like we were talking about like following up like a big episode arc. Like, yeah, this is a pretty good follow up where it's like, you can't compete with the previous episodes. So you're just going to kind of do a little bit, something different, a little new flavor, but then you're kind of like going to slowly work things back on track to where you were before the big episode. So I, I don't think you brought this up last year, but there is like an interesting, like broadcast, schedule that uh, that uh, between a modern one and the old one because like we'll see at miami vice like we're still doing episodes in like the middle of december mm -hmm. and so they just like start broadcasting and just go and every week they don't care about the holiday or whatnot where it's here there's like a month break between like 
the last episode and this episode. Oh, okay. Because you you like break for Christmas, you don't you don't hang around for New Year's, and then eventually, like somewhere in January, you start broadcast. You start airing your next episode again. Okay. All right. So there would so we're actually we're not necessarily watching this like the way it would have been watched. We, uh, but like in the original broadcast, there have been like almost a month break between these episodes. But it was also would probably also be still confusing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have Tom, Tom and Liz are talking, and Tom's looking for a job in Lincoln, Nebraska, because he just wants to get away from all this stuff. So he thinks the location, a location, will help. Yeah. Apparently, Liz worked on this serial case before. They never called him, and they call him the Good Samaritan because he calls an ambulance to uh, give people a chance to. Although they they never say that anybody is successful at reviving the people, but yeah, it's always <laughs> out there. Like, well, you know, life is in the balance. It's it's not favor because when when he called after he tortured this woman and did all this stuff, he you know had this list of stuff he was going to do to her, and you don't know why yet why he was doing these specific yeah. things. I thought it's like, oh, is this like simulating a car wreck? Because he called from a from a mobile or from a payphone. Payphone, yeah, those things. And and then she was like, kind of sitting out of a vehicle. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, is he like simulating a car wreck? What's he doing? So it was sort of a weird scene. Yeah. And then they explain it's like, oh, this like, yeah, this is why this is the Good Samaritan because he said on the phone, well, I've done it again. You know, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> he's done this before. And I but really thought the- this guy was a creep, and I wanted him to get shot in the head. Because yeah, I yeah. thought, oh, this guy's like murder torture, like on an, on another level. Like he seems to have yeah. a lot of medical knowledge, and not yeah, well, you thought he was, you, yeah, I mean, you you think he's just somebody who likes to torture people because he's a psychopath. Yeah, that's just how he. But like, no, he actually has like a methodology behind it. And I figured being on the blacklist, it's like, oh, he's a professional torturer. Like, yeah, and this is like, hey, he's worked for some government and done something and. Nope, but you know that's what I thought because you you think a lot of things about this guy at first. Yeah. The first thing is you want well, it's him, like yeah, it's like technically he's he's not on the blacklist. Yeah, <laughs> but I assume but he's he was because it's the show. Then, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember, but like it's it's because there's a thing is like we're like one guy. I think Cooper says he's not on the blacklist, and then Liz is like, yeah, but it's important to me, and if it's important to me, it's important to Red. Yeah, I think they did that because remember the team is under the onus of this investigation because someone's yeah. a mole. And so she's doing like a side case. But because Raymond knew about it, I thought, well, wait, is this on the blacklist or not? I don't know. But yeah, so we, we've, but we're jumping ahead because we don't know anything about this guy other than what we just described with the yeah. lady being left in the minivan. In the middle of this being investigated, the, the whole blacklist unit is getting interrogated for possible suspects on who's the mole. Uh, and least, yeah, we have wrestler. He's like, he has a bad leg. He has a crutch. He's walking around with, so he's not just immediately healed. Yeah. <laughs> and we have red holds a private funeral for Luli. Oh yeah. That, I forgot. There's a part where it said like, then there's a body missing. I didn't understand what that meant. It's like, Oh, he took Luli's body. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cause when they uh, said he, Oh, red had something to do with, it, I was like, Oh yeah. One of his two like main people got shot. Okay. That. Okay. But we didn't know that from the episode until they set up. And at the funeral, which is just for private funeral, Red's there. He kind of flashes back to before she gets shot, and and then it's followed up with Johnny Cash when the man comes around. Yep. <laughs> and then Red's interrogating all the people who are involved with it that he can get a hold of. They're like, "Oh yeah, we didn't know each other. We just did stuff." And then we get uh, 
you know, and this is where the payoff is. And he's like, how much to get paid? He gets all these little details. And then like at the end, cause it cuts between him interviewing all of them. And then at the end, it's just, they're all dead. He kills all of them. Which like some of them, like the lady that pulled the chip out of his head, that was a paramedic. Like, why was she killed? She didn't know anyone who yeah. was involved or it, it seemed like, Oh yeah. Well, this is why you don't like Reddington. Like he's the yeah. most interesting well, character, I mean, but he's evil. Well, too. I mean, that's also to have him before he kills her. Like that's he's like, hey, you know, you're a paramedic. You save people. That's too bad. Also, you have a pretty face. Like that, that that's too bad. And then, but but my revenge is here. So. Yeah, yeah. And then Liz and Red talk about the Good Samaritan, so that you know, Red gives her clues. Like you should be not should be focusing less on the killer and more on the uh, on the victims. Yeah. And, and that's where he figured out that the wrestler and Liz are like have the father and the kid to like they take the father to identify the body and the kid's like more worried about like his father than his mom who's dead yeah <laughs> they're like what's that about well, we you, find you out find out yeah because <laughs> i thought it was like is this bad acting bad writing it's oh no no there's a reason yeah so apparently like uh his mom was abusing him horribly um, yeah <laughs> because we find yeah. out that wounds she suffered the punctured lung the broken collarbone like that stuff that happened to her kid yeah it's like i've raised a son i've raised a child and i'm not going to say there weren't spankings involved there were no punctured lungs you know yeah. broken i mean the only injuries he suffered broken bones wise happened on a football field and believe me they asked him like where did this happen <laughs> it's like well 500 people saw it happen so but yeah it's like ooh, this is that's a woman doing that that's kind of unusual but we don't get much of the backstory other than they, that's kind of like a thing to plug into the rest of it. Yeah. So the killer harms their victims based on how they abuse others. So yeah. then it kind of gives the the killer like, oh, well, he's killing people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's basically using that kind of Dexter out. It's like, yeah. well, he's killing bad people. So it's okay. He's killing the killers, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then Red walks in on some guy named Theodore. Yeah. And he like just shoots all his guys. And and so Red is like trying to trace the money. And that's that's why he's acting somebody like how he got paid and there's like their fives and tens. And so he knew it was like this guy because he was too cheap to do something some way. It's just easier to launder fives and tens or something. Well, no, he um, he was laundering all the money through the nightclubs. And he oh, wasn't yeah, playing yeah. he wasn't paying what they call a rinser at a bank to make it all seem legitimate where you could get large bills. So he's just paying these people in stripper tips, you know, essentially. <laughs> which is like a, a tell with this guy. Cause he's just too cheap to, that's how red puts it together. So yeah, he shoots the guy in the leg and then he's interrogating him further and he's pouring alcohol on him and he's about to like light him on fire. And then he gives him the message. And then he kind of like, he puts the, the match out, but then he like lights a cigar and like puts it in his mouth. And then he just goes like, oh, the suspense is killing me. And then he just shoots the guy. Yeah. I mean, it's probably better to be shot than burned alive. But yeah, yeah. also, I mean, unless these people are drinking rocket fuel, a lit cigar is not going to sl- light alcohol on fire. Yeah. I mean, but it's... well, once he shoots him, he drops the cigar. So and there's no like a fire. So... Yeah. You don't hear like <laughs> as he's walking out or anything. But again, it was done more for drama than accuracy but yeah yeah and there's just like a weird funny you know because he says the suspense is killing me when he literally kills somebody else yeah i found out the killer is like a med tech who like comes in when there's a short shift at oh, he's a, yeah he's an emergency room nurse 
Yeah. And he's a float nurse, which means he makes about 70 bucks an hour because he <laughs> he moves from hospital to hospital when there's a shortage. Uh, and so this is where he gets all his information yeah. about who's abusing spouses, children, etc. And because he floats around, that kind of makes him more anonymous, so he'd be less likely to be picked up. Oh, when they get the, when they finally put the clues together, they just kind of immediately know where he is. Yeah, it's. <laughs> but you know, you know, he's he's a you know officially involved in places. So well, this um, remember this story is being slivered, except for the dramatic intro. This story is pretty much being slivered in between Ray's, you know. A tri-state murder festival <laughs> yeah, um, yeah so it's kind of sometimes you're like ah oh. and then aram is involved somehow with the um not with the killings but with the the mole at, at the unit and so red kidnaps him and has him steal money for him but like from himself but, yeah but he, he and red like is disassembling and reassembling in 1911 and he has till that when he gets it reassembled to before he'll shoot him <laughs> And then, and then once he shows like, okay, along with the money, and he shows like, uh, asks how he did it. He's like, okay, so you're not, so you're you're too smart to launder money stupidly. So you didn't, you're not the mole. You're being set up as the mole because also the unit gets um, oh, it's like Douglas something, that's like some, that gets pointed at Aram, but he's being set up. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad because I like Aram. I was like, they're yeah. gonna kill him. Like he's the. <laughs> kind of the decent guy in this. Yeah, he he was remorseful of killing a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, and even as his the interrogator when they were like, "Why'd you feel bad about killing that guy?" It was because he's a human being. And the person looked at him was like, "Huh? Really? He's a bad guy, which, though." Which is actually extra funny because he's the only person in the show <laughs> who has those feelings. Yeah. Whatever, Frank. Oh, because Frank Whaley. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and his character is actually Carl Hoffman, but he introduced, he's at this anger management anonymous thing and he introduces himself as Victor. So it's a bunch of things. Okay. So that's why he kind of gives a story about his history of, of his mom abusing him. Yeah. But just, but just kind of, just kind of vaguely. So that's what, because there's a scene earlier where he's like, all right, mom, we're going to put you over here. And she just kind of seemed like she was catatonic. We actually don't know what's wrong with her. She still, she seems to be. He must have done something to her because she still seems to be like conscious and knows what's going on. Yeah, she, like, she's emoting in a very subtle way, but she's yeah. obviously upset about what's going on around her. Yeah, um, I didn't. I was surprised. That, like they have AA for people that beat their wives. Like I didn't know that existed. Uh, I don't know that it does, but it, it, in the story I was watching this, I was like, "Is that yeah. real?" It probably is, but I just never heard. Well, that's of why it. I just wrote anger management because that's what I assume it was. But oh, I don't okay. Know. I don't know if there's anger management anonymous or anything like that. Yeah, well, anything where there's a bunch of people meeting in a church basement to me is AA, regardless of what yeah, you're yeah, talking yeah. about. It's it's always yeah, yeah, exactly. some kind I mean, of I need to share. That's my the model feelings. it's it's using. Yeah, and there's and the whole AA model like um, it has no central leadership, so anybody can use it. To yeah, whatever. And so I've never Generally, been to any meetings like that, so I just I'm always fascinated. Yeah. That's like I learned about that in um uh, da, 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 what is it. Uh, fight club (laughs) yeah like that was so fascinating to me because i've never really committed to stuff enough to be addicted you know except like food uh so i'm always amazed at people like oh talking to strangers helps because to me that sounds like a nightmare like if they told me you got to talk to strangers about your problem they would literally have to like peel me off the ceiling like there's no way i'm doing (laughs) that but like i said I, i lack the commitment and will to be a good drunk or addict or something so I've always played around with it, but I just like, ah, I just want to read a book. 
I don't want to be high on drugs right now. The most like detailed thing I got about uh, AA is reading. There's a book called The Starfish and the Spider, which is about management styles. Well, not necessarily. It's like group structures of stuff. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it talks about like you know the spider is if like, you kill the head then the 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 legs die or the body dies. But here with a starfish, if you kill the head, that just becomes six more starfish. Essentially. Yeah, it's about leaderless um, resistance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To sobriety or drugs or the government or whatever you want it to be. Yeah, or, or terrorism. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, so that was like AA is one of the, the the leaderless management stuff because basically anybody can do it. It's, there's no set thing; nobody owns it. You just do it. <laughs> Sometimes I think at my work we have leaderless management also, but it's not intentional. <laughs> but that's another story. That's also how and I'm not sure how it's this way anymore. But one of the most popular um, server software out there is called Apache. Okay. It's just it's just totally open software. Like nobody owns it. Just everybody uses it. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if it's still that way because I know Microsoft has their own proprietary stuff that does like some nice cool stuff, but it does has absolutely none of the um, uh, kind of like the years of support that Apache has. But you know that could all have changed by now, for all I know. So. Yeah, it's changing all the time, <laughs> and not in good ways. Yeah, all right down dinner with red <laughs> he goes to have dinner with henry is another contact uh and he shoots henry and throws his wife in the closet <laughs> but he really likes his wife yeah, yeah like he's really charming to her and she's like really charming to him right up until he shoots her husband in front of him <laughs> it's like look if well, you don't her, calm well, down i'm gonna throw you into the closet <laughs> he throws her in the closet and even though it's like cheryl if you don't calm down, I'm going to shoot through the door, and I don't know what I'm going to hit. So please calm down. And immediately she stops. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get the name Newton Phillips, and then Red leaves. Yeah. Um, killer takes his mother to meet George, who is the, the latest uh, wife beater. He's the next victim, so he's all tied up. Yeah, and the list litany of wounds that his wife has received over the years are long and insane. Yeah, it's like, well, all she was going to what he was going to do to that guy is like, what did he do? Beat this woman with a baseball bat like once (laughs) a year? I mean, God. Yeah, because like I'm all her the the injuries that George here inflicted on his wife is like over a couple of years and it's going to be inflicted on him all at once. Yeah. So he has to like tear one of his retinas. He has to go. He has to go get a beer bottle to like create a concussion that would also be like leave lacerations or whatever because <laughs> he like he's like what did you hit her with because <laughs> he is just going to hit him with a hammer to create a concussion <laughs> yeah that's uh, going to be hard to emulate but yeah i mean but all throughout this i'll say even though george was going to aa for wife beaters i was still kind of rooting for carl because i really still didn't like someone who would beat his wife that savagely yeah. repeatedly i was like oh just let him kill him first and then <laughs> Then shoot him because, you know, I because I've kind of switched sides on this guy now. It's like, yeah. ah, he's weird, but and it's definitely not something I could imagine doing. But, oh, man, these people suck. But then, like, while he's getting the beer bottle, the, uh, the FBI show up and he has to, like, run to the front <laughs> of the garage real quick. He's like, oh, I don't have time. And he's about to, like, hit him in the head with just a ball peen hand. Yeah, and just Liz kill comes him. in. Yeah. And then and then he's trying to explain himself real quick. And then it's like. And then, like one, he makes one last lunge to try to kill his mom with the hammer, but Liz shoots him dead. Yeah. And then we go to the hospital where, like, George is recovering from his injuries, 
And then Liz just goes up to him. He's like, if you ever hurt her ever again, I will f- kill you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't, she didn't say that, but it's like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, she'll finish the work that Carl started. Yeah. <laughs> Which means she'll shoot him, but yeah. It's, yeah. Or have Red kill him or something. Yeah. 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 That doesn't really, that, those stories don't intersect, but it's like, yeah. It was it was an effective uh, moment in the show where it's like I was like Liz, just let him let him finish, give him this one last piece of the puzzle before because <laughs> you, you have to kill this guy. We understand that, but just just let him kill this guy first. But it's, you know, it's still it's kind of fun that like it's like well she has to kill this bad guy, but she's going to tell this other bad guy who's the technically the victim here <laughs> that she's going to kill him if he ever does anything ever. Again. Yeah. Then we have Red scatters Lily's ashes in the ocean. And then we find out that Newton Phillips is like Red's British butler. It's the crime concierge. <laughs> yeah. And he betrayed him, but not just for money because they threatened Newton's wife and family. It's like, so Red's like, okay. And he's like, well, just make it look like an accident so my wife doesn't know or whatever. And he suffocates him with a bag, <laughs> yeah. which is like not, you know, it's like not a clean death. And it's like, I understand that like Red throwing the Lulu's ocean or ashes into the water. And then having to kill one of his confidants is, is terrible. But because we really didn't know either of those people very well, it, didn't, it kind of lacked impact. It yeah. was just the fact that Red killed some guy with a bag, which <laughs> is like, that takes like eight minutes in real life, I read. So it's, it's like, yeah, it's like, I know this was supposed to be like an impactful scene, but I almost thought it was silly in a way. Yeah. It's like, because these are people, we, I mean, we knew Lulu. She knew she was like a like the best money launderer in the universe or whatever. And then we always knew this guy was the concierge of crime. Uh, he was, he was like the, uh, the, uh, what's the guy of the, the Batman's what oh. like Alfred. Yeah. He was like yeah, raised Alfred, yeah. Alfred, but we knew nothing about him. Other than he stands around and looks, you know, sad a lot. Well, it's weird. Cause like, you never saw this, the, the, the Butler guy, you never saw him with, because Luli and, and Dembe were always hanging around, but they were never all three together. Yeah. But, and then we have uh, Diane, who's kind of like the 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 bureaucrat of everything. She has a briefing basically saying, like, we found the mole and we can't tell you who it is. Yep. <laughs> and uh, we have a contact. It's confidential. And then we switch over and it's Alan Alda, the bad guy from the previous two episodes. Who's apparently uh, a senator or something. Yeah, yeah i don't know he's either he's either a congressman or he's like related to something that would like report to congress yeah. people but yeah we got the big the big bad uh in bed with government here with alan alda so. yep. and then it ends where red shows up at liz's house and, and basically kind of we kind of set things back on track where like we're just gonna start up where we left off where they go and find people on red's list back to the blacklist yep <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I thought it was a good follow-up episode to like what is something that's hard, really hard to follow up so but yeah, yeah it like was you're, but yeah you're right it's kind of it was like two stories that didn't really intersect and so they just didn't work as one whole episode and two stories <laughs> that like, were strong too yeah yeah uh it's like oh we just you know um i felt like the good samaritan was kind of wasted but he was yeah. also kind of a one-trick pony like he been doing the same thing and even that's what liz said screwed up the investigation is oh he didn't progress as a serial killer he did the exact same thing like he didn't up the ante he didn't like send notes to the police like haha i'm smarter than you no it was none of that so but you find out it's like well he was kind of a serial killer but really he was just a 
twisted person who was carrying out some kind of... He was a vigilante who used, like, serial killer-like methods. Yeah, he was... Yeah, I'm going to collapse your lung now. It's going to be very (laughs) painful, and you're going to involuntarily cough. Yeah, it it had no problem hurting people, which is weird. No, didn't ever hesitate. But like in in theory had a problem with people being hurt yeah it's like i respect your passion just not your art just not your art the craft is all wrong and it also was just a weird way to get back at his mom so. yeah yeah and it's, it's it's like someone you hurt me now i'm gonna hurt other people in front of you until you die i'm gonna make you watch which it would actually almost by the logic of the show because he even said like Oh, I used to think, why would my mom hurt me? The one person he was supposed to love, wouldn't this cause her pain? But then I realized it was bringing her pleasure to hurt him. And it's like, so I'm going to hurt people in front of her, which like, well, that might also bring her pleasure because she's (laughs) screwed up. But but they do show her crying. Yeah, which is kind of like, okay, yeah. It's like, because if they showed her like her eyes were real wide and she looked like in the throes of ecstasy, it's like, whoa, (laughs) what, what was it? Is he trying to, what's he doing? Is this more of an Oedipus thing? What do we got going on here? But now we're now that's just digging too deep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so for our second show, we have The Mentalist, season two, episode eleven, rose colored glasses. Original uh, air date, January fourteenth, two thousand ten. CBS Thursday. A former high school student and his wife are killed before the high school reunion, and Jane is forced to get Rigsby to help perform an elaborate ruse to find the killer. Showrunner Bruno Heller, written by Leonard Dick, and directed by. Also, Dan Lerner from the previous episode. Weird, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes I, 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 yeah, I read out this stuff, and I, like, I was making fun of another podcast for just being a Wikipedia list. So this is sometimes where it works out, where there's weird connections between the different shows that really have no connections. Well, that's the thing. We don't watch network TV. That was the whole premise of the story. And now we start to see like all these names and faces repeating themselves. And, <laughs> and this is not the first time it's happened. It's kind of weird. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I liked, have... I liked his blacklist effort. I'm going to tell you, I, didn't, yeah. I could not get into this episode. Very rarely can I not get into an episode of The Mentalist. This one did not. I mean, I thought the episode was fine. I don't think it was necessarily a bad episode, but it was just an episode. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping for it because last week's was kind of like, and this week was even more. I mean, I'll put it this uh, way. I watched this an hour and a half ago and like nothing stuck with me. <laughs> At least with the baseball episode, like some things stuck with me. Yeah. <laughs> We also mentioned that we pro- that was probably an episode we'd probably forget. <laughs> so now we'll never forget. Yeah. <laughs> it's in our mind palace now is the thing to forget. <laughs> yeah. It's in the delete thing, but I never go to find her and hit the empty trash because it's like, well, I'm watching porn, so I can't do this now. Uh, we have Van Pelt and Rigsby like sneaking affection at the office, and then you know somebody else shows up, and they just like you know run away from each other. And then we cut to the the murder scene. It's a dead couple in an SUV. They're shot. It's Selby and Jan Vickers. Yep. And we find out it's a high school reunion episode. Yep. Because they're like kind of looking through all the clues, clues, and then they spot this that the lady has like a really expensive dress on, and they're trying to. And how do they out, spot like, that? Because they left the tag on the dress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which means they were going to return it. I, yeah, I, yeah. Okay. That's what I thought is like, why would you leave a tag on a dress? I mean, or... I've heard of people doing those things, but I don't do those things. Also, I'd never like be one to purchase 
uh, either well an eight hundred dollar any clothing item. So yeah, I mean now now I'll unless 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 it was like some heavy duty work thing, where it's like it's a Carhartt, but it's also got like flak jacket in it. I think the most expensive article of clothing I have is a North Face McMurdo parka, the original ones, not the new ones, the original ones. And I got that on eBay and it was like, like, I mean, on book, it was almost three times the cost of what I paid for it, but it wasn't original. It was a real one. I, I did find that out, but it's like, yeah, I cannot imagine spending $800 on like a piece of fabric. That's yeah. it's like, oh, okay. I don't, I don't get that. However, show me like a revolver with like deer engraved on it. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is, you know, it's, this thing's like, you know, I mean, X amount of dollars. Like, yeah, sure. Take my money. You know? So it's, I guess it's what's important to you. I mean, I get expensive shoes, but not for fashion, but like I get like red wings and stuff like that. Yeah. So they're, they're comfortable and they, well, mine, well, I, I'm rough on my shoes, so they break down, but you know, yeah. they at least last five years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will spend money on crazy shit, like custom made knives and it's like, oh yeah, I want that. <laughs> and then, yeah, so we go to the, the high school reunion and it's, it's Lisbon and, and Jane are, are like seeing who like knew these people. And then we find out that Selby was expelled for a prank and then he didn't graduate. So that's why they'd be surprised he'd be like coming to the the, the reunion. We find out that Derek Logan was somebody the that Selby pulled a prank on. And so people are kind of like, that's kind of a thing in the background because there's rumors about what happened to him. Like he, he like died or he's like a drug dealer in Mexico or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, that so there's that. Ah, uh, the old so hometown people... kid goes to Mexico and becomes a drug dealer. <laughs> that old saw. Because that's just the first thing. Is like, well, this guy would be the most likely to want revenge on him, but like, they, nobody knows where he is. And then Jane like makes a point about like, because ah, Jane doesn't like any of the people here because he's like, ah, it's a room full of people lying to each other. And also, this is where like Jane like is guessing about Lisbon's past, almost like he did last episode with Cho, but now it's with Lisbon. <laughs> Um, and she's like, no, you're wrong. But, uh, but she doesn't confirm or deny like half of it. Although the thing he keeps like picking up on is like what instrument she played in high school. And he keeps getting that wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it looked like Selby like turned his life around. And uh, especially after he married his wife, who's Jan from Poland. <laughs> so, and it was apparently like a quick marriage. Cause like they were like married within a month of meeting each other. But, and what do you think is like, Oh, is this one of those like, mail order bride things or something and like it is but like not in his case it's somebody else did the mail order bride yeah. to her and then she married him over true love and we also get a thing where like we find out Derek logan died of an overdose like like a few years ago but we also see like his high school id and like he kind of looks like rigsby so keep that in mind yeah uh van Pelt and cho like go like talk to a suspect at like one of uh selby's like uh, where he like worked for like a painter or something like that or some factory that does like work with like siding or whatever and painting and uh it's a badali so they talk to him and he like runs away and we kind of eventually see where like he gets away he's like knocking stuff over and then cho just eventually like takes like a, a like a a wood plank and just <laughs> knocks him the f out well yeah that because that's after uh uh what's her name uh I always looks like she got crushed by pipes. Yeah, yeah, Van Pelt. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think those are all just like I think it was just awkward, and those were all like PC PVC pipes. Yeah, yeah. If, if they're metal pipes, she's <laughs> like been that, dead. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Uh, and then like Lisbon, like well, like one of the class members, he's like a DA. Jane and Lisbon like go to his hotel room, and then he seems sketchy because like he, uh, there's just like a high school chick in his bedroom. Yeah, at the hotel. It's like, oh, what's that about? But then it turns out to be like, oh, he had a kid in high school. It was an illegitimate was just, daughter that everyone yeah. was hush hush about. It's like what didn't seem as horrible as it was. Yeah, or yeah. as it could have been. I mean. Yeah, it's because like yeah, he like flew in the day earlier on like a private flight. So, was, but like when he got there, he specifically said to Jane like, oh, "I just got here." And it's like, well, we know that's not true. So, yeah, a lot of Jane just like picking up on liars in this episode. Yeah. It's like you're a good liar, and they're like, "What?" <laughs> and then Jane, Jane like talks to the vice principal because like I, I don't know how long this like like high school reunion is, but it seems to be over like multiple days, which doesn't make sense to me. I've never been to a high school reunion, but I thought they were just one day. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've um, never been to one either. So, yeah, it seemed like a very elaborate high school reunion. But yeah, like Jane, talk, uh, Jane talks to the vice principal about the incident. And then so he goes to the girls locker room where like the one guy got like tied up and had underwear put on him. And he's like naked and somebody took a picture and put it everywhere. Uh, and that's in reference to the uh, Derek Logan who we know has already died. And then yeah. the next scene is like Jane teaching Rigsby how to use a mind palace. Yeah. Um, to memorize the year school book. And then the story I picked up on, Oh, he's going to pose as Derek Logan at the, at the, the high school reunion. Yep. High school reunion day two or three. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but how did he get Rigsby to do this? That's, that's the thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So he uses Rigsby and Van Pelt's secret relationship against them. Yep. So yeah. Jane again, ever the sociopath. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I wrote like, how long is this high school reunion? <laughs> yeah, it's the most um, expensive high school reunion ever. But yeah, they start doing like the the rewards for different stuff or whatever, and then like the there's a couple people that like walk out of there as Rigsby is like proclaiming to get his revenge on the other person that wasn't named in the in the prank. And then, like they, they're the CBI is kind of spotting who leaves, and it's, we have the one nerdy guy who gets in a fight earlier because Jane basically kind of like gives him the courage to punch the jock from high school that bullied him. Yeah. Um, so you think, well, he could possibly be a killer, but then he also has a kid, so it's, yeah. But then the other person that leaves is like the popular girl who was like the class president and everything, and so it's the popular girl who's the killer because Selby had a picture of her doing the prank. Cause Selby took all the credit for the prank. So she wouldn't get in trouble. And then she's about to have like some, some shows, some radio show she has about to go national. So she had to kill them. So yeah, they were trying to extort money cause they had the yeah. negative. Yeah. She basically took Gitmo style pictures with this guy with like just a bra and panties on. And th- those pictures didn't come out, but that, yeah, the, the, yeah, they had the pictures. It's like, Oh, that's a weird thing. But it turns out like she's a psycho and, yeah, she just likes to hurt people because she was popular in high school, which is like, oh, okay, that's a writer's room revenge. <laughs> or maybe people are really like that. I don't know. I mean, I guess it would be the least likely. So it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then what, what does Jane say evidence? to her? She's like, he's like, oh, you're regional TV talent, right? You know, he says something belittling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then we find out Jane never went to high school. So he's kind yeah. of fascinated by the reunion, which kind of putting together what things from his past in the previous episode that it's like, oh, okay, yeah, he so he was ne- he's never been had a formal education, probably. Well, he had to work all the time for his dad. Yeah, they were busy grifting people. 
uh, and then Lisbon and Jane dance to more than words at the end of the, at the end of the show. So, yeah, hinting at the Lisbon and Jane relationship. That Never find out what up. musical instrument she played in high school. Yeah, everything he else he said, but yeah. Well, he guess like like bassoon or something, and then at the end he says like trumpet, and then she just says no. So and he doesn't just like list them all until he's eventually right. He's just like, oh, got to go back to think about it. <laughs> yeah. And then for our third show, we have season two, episode 11, Back in the World. Original air date, December 6th, 1985, NBC Friday. Crockett flashes to his role during the Saigon evacuation as he and a war correspondent uncover heroin smuggled in body bags. Ten years later in Miami, the H resurfaces, and so does the reporter looking for the CIA connection. Showrunner Michael Mann, written by Terry McDonald and directed by Don Johnson. Yes. Yes, that Don Johnson, the star of the show. The same one. Also, this is the Terry McDonald guy. He like his right. He has really weird writing credits because it's like basically this, the kind of infamous but actually very tame uh, video game Night Trap. Okay. Uh, and and I guess he went on to be like an executive editor for like Sports Illustrated. So he's like listed as on like a bunch of like Sports Illustrated swimsuit editions, like video stuff. <laughs> yeah, I thought those. Uh, I thought this was a pretty good episode because I was kind of thinking back to like, remember when the. Uh, and like Nimoy and Shatner were like trading director jobs on the Star Trek series and Shatner sucked at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and here we kind of have a similar thing. We have almost directing the last episode and we got uh Johnson directing this one and he did he did a pretty good job. So Yeah, this was this was uh I mean this is like this is Miami Vice and it's it's like, oh, this is the crazy stuff I remember. Like it's kind of the 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 wild stories. And yeah. the great uh, soundtrack, which I, cause I think they played like a lot of the Doors, a lot of Doors oh, yeah. songs in this. Yeah, there's like five Doors songs. I think it's exclusively the Doors. Yeah, it's it's pretty much which, like I don't. know, Sometimes I'm surprised like where the Doors popped up, and I'm like, is it really easy to license a Doors song? <laughs> Maybe the '80s. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, they'd have to relicense it for this Peacock bro- Pe- Peacock broadcast. So. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Unless they just like got a good deal, but anyways, uh, yeah. So we start off with stock stock war footage in the doors. Yep, it's Saigon, April seventy five. So it's the fall of Saigon. They didn't play the end. I was surprised. Just no homage to. Uh, I guess not. Apocalypse now. Yeah. There's a part where they do. They do. There's like something referred to as the end, but mm-hmm. that doesn't come back. But anyways, and then after we get through all the footage, we have Crockett like coming off a helicopter on a carrier deck and then he gets taken to the morgue by stone iris stone he's, he's played by bob balaban who's a who is a a consummate character actor he's yeah, literally prodigious been prodigious character actor and a guy i like to watch too yeah because he has a weird intensity to him he kind of overplayed <laughs> it in this a little bit but then it comes yeah. out that he was a, also a drug addict which <laughs> yeah i was like oh, okay this is why he's acting weird because he doesn't look like a drug addict he seems like a guy who's read what a drug addict should act like and also what a war correspondent should act right, act like and kind of like, yeah, just do your thing, you know, because. But yeah, we find out that somebody's smuggling drugs with the with the dead bodies coming back um, from Vietnam with the uh, from the soldiers. Yep. And then we uh, and then we come back from credits and now we're at some remote airport and Vice and the DEA are intercepting like a drug plane. But it's just like a couple of rich kids that are smuggling weed, but not even enough to really like 
catch their interest, but they arrest them anyways. So. Yeah. Well, it's not like you're going to like you give them the weed back and like on your way, children. <laughs> so you got to arrest them, but they're not going to arrest them for dealing. <laughs> and like a bunch of press show up in a helicopter because apparently the DAA brought them to, you know, show how good they are. Uh, and that's where you meet, meet Bob or we Iris Stone again. And now he's a press core, just regular press. Yeah. And then they kind of, yeah, they go have like a meeting, like to, to catch up. There's the guy, the guy they just called the sergeant who's like was smuggling out the heroin, but they find out that the, the heroin's going bad. Yeah. Uh, because like of uh, apparently like the embalming fluid is like mixing with the heroin or something uh, or did. And now it's like making it go bad and it's creating like some methanol and the heroin that's, that's what alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Now the guy's trying to offload his ten-year-old stash, like all of a sudden, because like it's it's going to lose all its value. Yeah, that kind of threw me for a minute. I almost forgot when this show was, because it's like, oh, the fall of Saigon, and they're just selling the heroin. It's like, oh yeah, only nine or ten years have passed when this show came. Yeah. Out. I always think of that as like thirty years ago or something, or even yeah, more, yeah. fifty years ago. But no, it's like, oh okay, which is still kind of weird, but yeah. Yeah, well, because, like, you know, you look at the culture in the 70s and the culture in the 80s, they're completely different. Yeah. So, so yeah, they seem like they're eras apart rather than, you know, a decade. Yeah, Stone and, and Crockett, like, interview some veterans. They kind of get mad about it because they think, like, they think, like, they're just harassing them and, like, blaming the vets again. It's like, hey, we've already got enough blame. We don't need any more of it. Yeah, it's like, how about I lost my leg in the war? Why don't you publish that story? You know, <laughs> think anyone to give a shit about that? You know, it was, it was yeah, because they were they were uh, trying to find out who who they scored this heroin off of and why the guy died. Well, they're mad that like this guy because he's a reporter that he's just going to sell it, and so it's like, yeah, know, he's not doing this for the good of everybody. He's doing this for financial reasons. Yeah, this so isn't just pure human interest story. It's like no. It's, <laughs> guy's got a motive and then we're on the boat with uh with stone and crockett and crockett's like telling some of his war stories um, yeah i can't remember the specifics but yeah it's some i think it's the one where they talk about like you know they, they pulled the heroin out of his dead friend's chest like that's the heroin from the beginning yeah um and then all of a sudden <laughs> stone just yells incoming and you think like oh is he just having a non-flashback it's like no they're actually taking mortar fire. someone's firing mortars in miami <laughs> At a boat and firing them so quickly and reacquiring this boat so quickly. Yeah. It's like, I didn't think you could move a mortar launcher that fast, but you know, it was. No, you can't, but you know, when you set up bombs in the ocean, you can't really do it accurately to what mortar fire would be like. Yeah, because it realistically, they would have maybe got two of those off and then he would have hit the gas in that boat. And yeah. it's like, that would have been it, but it was fun, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for one, I was like, like, wait, like, go. You know, I thought the guy was just gonna have a random non flashback. It's like, nope, this is happening, and that's just his like training kicking in, where you just like, oh, I hear an incoming mortar, yell incoming to, because <laughs> like it's not like he's just like, hey, Crockett, incoming, because Crockett can hear it too. He's just like goes into a mode. <laughs> and yeah, they get done with the the get taking the mortar fire, and then we cut to like some Asian guy with gold teeth, and he has like one eye or something, and. He was firing the mortars somehow. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting parries in this episode because we have Switek. He's like dressed in leather. <laughs> yeah. He's like a leather, leather daddy. Yeah. Yeah. 
he's he's with tubs and they're going around to interview people uh and they like they go to like uh one of Switek's like connections or something he's like a, a drug addict and he's like dying because he's taking the, the one heroin but then they get a clue like just dakota but we don't know who that is yet and uh then we have stone and crockett go talk to some cia spook yep which you'll you explain who this is. Yes, this is the famous G. Gordon Liddy, who was the um, a former FBI agent and was a lieutenant during the Korean War, who was described, who became very close with one of the people around J. Edgar Hoover, but was described as other FBI agents as being reckless and dangerous. But he was very good <laughs> at arresting people. But he so so like the character he's playing in this show, like that's just G. Gordon Liddy if he was that guy. <laughs> like he's crazy. Um, there, I mean, I could go over G. Gordon Liddy's whole career. We're not here to do that, and it's not that interesting to everyone. But know that he was the of all the people sentenced for the Watergate break-in, he got the biggest sentence. He was sentenced to twenty years in prison for cord because he was one. Of, he was the head of the what the Nixon called the plumbers that were supposed to stop leaks. And they wouldn't plan at the um, he he, cor- that, he played by Ed Harris in the movie. <laughs> no, he's played by uh, Ed Harris is playing. Uh, oh, I forget who the guy is. No, G. Gordon Liddy's played by someone else. Oh, OK, so he's, he's the one Ed Harris like... introduces him. It's like, yeah, this is G. Gordon Liddy. You know, he's a real Martin oh, Norman. Okay. You know, it's like uh, that was. Uh, yeah, because I forget who Ed Harris was playing. Um so this is like a really weird casting choice. <laughs> oh, yeah. This guy was a well, what happened was he got sentenced to 20 years. Yeah. And um, which was way more than anyone else got sentenced to. Basically, because he was also a lawyer. And uh, cause he he left the FBI and got involved in like private security and stuff. And then he came he got in the orbit of Nixon and his people and he worked for the creep. He was basically the chairman of the creep for a while. That's the committee to reelect the president. And that's where all the money uh, got funneled through. So the Watergate burglars got paid off book because they were basically taking campaign money and paying people <laughs> to commit crimes, which is like that's what brought down Nixon, breaking into the Watergate. And this guy coordinated it. Now, I don't I think he was actually on scene there, too. But I think he was like over a few rooms, like coordinating the break in and where to plant the bugs and how to do the wiretap. So like all kinds of felonies. And yeah. uh, and one of the least cooperative witnesses, really arrogant, and it's like, okay, twenty years, dude. And then when um, Carter got elected, he commuted his sentence, and oh, okay. so he got he only served four years of time, but he still had to pay, I think, like a fifty thousand dollar fine, and he was still considered a, a felon. So it's like because he sits in this house when they were interviewing him, he has guns all around him, like on the walls and stuff. It's illegal for him to own any firearms. So, but they're all in his wife's name. <laughs> um so yeah he's one of those guys but and he died like recently like in 2021 and i think he was 90 huh. so um but yeah he had a conservative talk radio show and, you know it was kind of like you know 90s conservative rush limbaugh stuff not crazy stuff but well yes crazy stuff but not as crazy it is as, as it is now yeah uh, so it was yeah it was called you know join my crusade and fight with it because he was always calling himself the g-man g gordon liddy because he was an fbi you know this guy he just knew how to cause interest and entertainment and he was kind of a gadfly but also a reckless dangerous person according to a lot of people like not a guy who was he's one of those guys that like you know there's a lot of guys that are big talk but they're just ultimately cowards and stuff 
No, this guy's just crazy. I mean, he believes <laughs> he believed dumb things for bad reasons, and he acted on them. And like, oh, that's what made him nuts. Is like, oh yeah, this guy's capable of a lot of bad things, but he's not all talk. He's like, kind of nuts, and that's again why he ended up getting the biggest sentence out of all the because uh, he was basically a coordinator of the Watergate break-in, but his attitude and his loyalty to Nixon were so profound. It's like, oh, yeah, you're getting the maximum sentence. Like, I mean, well, And here as his character, he also has a picture of Nixon on the wall. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. Well, he's like that. Uh, who's the guy around Trump that has Nixon on his back? Stone, Roger Stone. <laughs> this is just one of those weirdos that came from the Nixon era. That's why the Nixon era is so fascinating because it's just yeah. a – Everyone who you think is crazy now that was around Trump, it's like, yeah, it's the same people. Uh, so, I mean, the ones that lived, uh, they're still around, and they still like, yeah, the crazy guy, let's go to him. That was great to see. I, forgot, I almost forgot about G. Gordon Liddy. was like, oh, I know he was on a, he's in a couple episodes of Miami Vice. I think he's the same character, because remember in this, he, you know, he doesn't get caught. Uh, I forget they get he called they call him like Captain something like landowner or something or something. I can't remember the name. Of yeah, his, na- his character's name's William Maynard, but yeah, he's 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 like basically a land developer. But you find out later, oh, he's just a drug smuggler. Yeah, that's yeah. That's well, no, like they called him like Captain like land developer or whatever in in Vietnam because because he was a cia guy and whatever he was like interested in like that's where stuff would happen oh so. yeah yeah <laughs> and people said they kind of liked him too it's like he was exciting but you knew he was bad <laughs> um so g gordon yeah, Lee didn't have to stretch himself as an actor no he was, just, he be was yourself. just this guy yeah just be, go crazy but i wonder like who on this like on this production like knew him it's like let's get him in oh don <laughs> johnson i'll guarantee okay. it was don johnson <laughs> guarantee you because he kind of cultivates strange people around him uh, okay he's an interesting guy too he's but like weirdly like stone stone leads the meeting like weirdly defeated and like giving up on his story and the leads it's like ah, I, I just made it up yep. sergeant isn't real and he steals the ferrari and drives off yeah <laughs> uh and then switek and tubs are like presumably like like oh, it's not really like I mean, it's a it's a flop house. I mean, it's a gay bar, but it's oh yeah yeah no no yeah the gay bar first yeah. But I don't know. It's like more of ah, it's not exclusively a gay bar. It's just kind of like eccentric people. Some of them are probably gay. Yeah, there were there were women dressed in drag, or there were men dressed in drag there, obviously, and yeah, it seemed like just a crazy environment of a lot of drugs and unique characters and um, clicks. Iman was Dakota. Yeah, uh, and, you, and she's like really famous. Like I, you know who she is as soon as you see her. So, well, I, I'm most more of as like the in the Star Trek, the end Undisco- or not? Yeah, Undiscovered Country. Oh, the shapeshifter. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's where I most know her from. Yeah. yeah, she's been in um a lot of things. I'm trying to think of what else. I think she was in a James Bond movie. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> she's Somalian. Very um, striking. So <laughs> yeah, very well, very tall, very thin, with um like really strong features. Like she looks like, Oh, that's a supermodel. You know, that's when you think yeah, of yeah. supermodels of, you know, times past, you think of him on uh, when uh, they're talking to her, she like kind of points fingers at stone that maybe he's involved with the whole drug dealing aspect. Well, she knows stone's uh, an addict and, uh, and she knows that like, he knows stuff about like the guy who's just, which is Maynard. He knows the guy like 
she, she's like, I think she's hitting around. I, I didn't quite understand that. Or I, I think they might've had a writing change at the last minute where they changed some of the scenes. Cause she was kind of hinting around that like, yeah, he's involved in this. And then it became later. It's like, no, but he knows what's going on. It's like, okay, so he's not yeah. involved, involved. He's just being a reporter, putting the pieces together. And then we have Tubbs and Crockett meet Stone's wife. And yeah, what a feels- great actress that was. <laughs> she was like, oh, she seems awful. But then you realize, well, her husband's a junkie who just yeah. basically screwed her out of money at every turn and lied to her. <laughs> great, great uh, actress, though, whoever that was. Patty Arbenville. I don't know. But I, she's like, I've seen her before. But I was like, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, she, for like a really small role, she really took that scene over. So. Yeah, and wouldn't let those guys. It's like, hey, we're vice detectives. It's like, I don't care. I hope he's <laughs> dead. <laughs> oh, you're not gonna. You, you're gonna. You're gonna regret that. No, I'm not. He, he's lied about everything. Our first honeymoon, which I paid for too, by the way. All that guy's <laughs> ever been is someone who needed money. He's not my husband. She had like great lines. Yeah. Um, or there's a point where she just like laughs in their face, which yeah. I thought f- felt like a mistake at first. And then she like rolls into it and like it works. <laughs> yeah. She seemed to be riffing a little bit there. I don't know. It was, it was funny though. Tubbs and Crockett talk with the Dakota and then she points to some other contact. And then we have doors break on through play. <laughs> yeah. Crockett's like sneaking up because they think they found where the sergeant is stone and maynard talking to each other and you find out stone is basically like blackmailing yeah. maynard to not print the story <laughs> yep yeah it becomes a lot less the stone character becomes much less a noble character and much more of like oh he's just a junkie looking for money yeah. which is a sad progression of the character yeah <laughs> you didn't want to go there but... no because you want him to be like we're gonna just we're gonna kill the evil of Vietnam right now by bringing down this one guy, and then it's like, no, I'm just a druggie who needs more drugs, money. Well, it's like how it starts out. It's like it seems like he's a really good investigator because you get all these like really specific details. Yeah, and, oh yeah, oh, this, this is a really great episode, and then it just kind of devolves into like just yeah. drugs and money. Yep. <laughs> then we have a really weird chase scene where Crockett and Tubbs like run into a garbage truck. <laughs> The second time they've almost been killed in a van accident in Miami Vice War. <laughs> and it's like Maynard avoids the truck because he knows it's there, but like they don't, and they run straight into the forks. Yeah. And then somebody operates it to lift it up, but then they just disappear, which I'm either it's Maynard or his guy. <laughs> yeah. Who's just called Mung. Yeah, Mung. And is not credited. He's credited huh. as unknown. So um, I don't know what that's all about, but and then Stone's wife gets in the cab with the gold teeth guy. So, you know, she's dead. We'll find out later. But, yeah. Uh, and then Crockett and Tubbs talk with Maynard's wife. And then they get pointed to the Florida Keys for Mung the Gardener is <laughs> the gold teeth dude. So. Yeah. Another good wife scene here. Like Maynard's wife <laughs> is she's practicing tennis with some kind of automatic tennis return machine. And she's yeah. just talking along like, oh, you know, yeah, my husband, he's a businessman. Uh, yeah, he's down in the Keys at some secret fishing hole. No, no communication. You know, that tough guy stuff they like to do. And, and he's like, yeah, he's with Mong and he's, you know, some Vietnamese guy we sponsored to come over here. Not the first. We've done many. You know, she's what? But, th- well, they t- she talks about Vietnamese that they also sponsor. But this guy's specifically Laotian. Oh, Laotian. Yeah, that's right. So that's right. Which leads back to the CIA stuff, because remember, we never officially fought in Laos or Cambodia. Yeah. 
We just accidentally left a bunch of bombs there. Yeah, we, we accidentally like flattened a quarter of their country, but that had no, no military operations were conducted there. But yeah, then we have Stone is having a meeting with Maynard, and he has a briefcase, and he's like basically like, "Yeah, I need the money, or that, or my people are going to put out the manuscript." And then he opens up the case, and he has the manuscript, and like, "Ah, oh, you left it your wife, so your wife's dead." He gives her like the ring that she had on. Just yeah, he's like, "Yeah, your divorce is final." <laughs> yeah. Says, uh, yeah, Mong took care of it for you, so you won't have to worry about that. And then, then he pulls, then out, he pulls a out a gun, shoots him. Yeah. Then Stone's like down on the ground, and Crockett and Tubbs hear the gunshot. And they start heading towards the house, and he's on the ground. Well, that's also like, where his training kicks in. He yells, "Medic!" Yeah, medic. <laughs> yeah. And then Crockett uh, looks, and he's like, "Yeah, you're you're gonna make it. I think <laughs> you'll live." Yeah. You don't need any first aid. Yeah, you took <laughs> Should two. Should I apply pressure to the wound? Nah, nah. Let's see here. You took two to the chest uh, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> uh, and you're in the, you know, you're in the keys, like in a swamp. So sepsis is already set in just because this area is nothing but palm trees and fungus. So good luck. But uh, we're going to go hunt, hunt these two guys down in the woods. Because it is kind of scary because Crockett tells him, it's like, where'd they go? Are they getting away? It's like, no, they got to kill us. And it's like, oh, that's true. They <laughs> because if they kill them, then this guy gets away because no one knows you know, what's going on. Yeah, so they got to chase him down. I think there's like a blending of like two door songs here. Yes. <laughs> uh, Crockett gets the drop on Mung and kills him, but then they never find Maynard and then they hear his boat turn on. And so they get to the dock as he just runs away. <laughs> Yep, and that's the end. Oh, I'm reading something here. Um, this this episode has the most number of licensed songs in it of any Miami Vice episode. <laughs> and they also have a special thanks in the end credit scenes to the doors. Huh. So I don't know what that means, but couldn't have done they're it without you. <laughs> they're just big Don Johnson fans. Here it is for free. <laughs> Probably, yeah, could be. So yeah, by by the way, they're I not mean, they're not Maynard's coming back. You don't just get one yeah. G Gordon Liddy. You got to get multiple. Well, so we have a we get, we, Crockett goes back to Stone, and then Tub says there's calling in a, a medevac, uh, and they just kind of freeze frames as as Crockett's like has him covering a blanket and he's hugging him. Just yeah, he'll he'll be back. Frame. He comes back next season. Oh, Okay, oh he's good. So yeah, yeah I mean yeah I like that actor. Well, I mean, this is like essentially he got kicked like Tubbs got kicked out of the group and replaced by him for this episode. And it was a good pairing still. Yeah. <laughs> well, they have that. Yeah. That whole Vietnam thing in common. Well, they just have a good back and forth. So. Yeah. Well, he's a good actor. So, yeah, I, I like this episode. This was I, th 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 again. This is more of that goofiness that I like about Miami Vice. <laughs> it's like we got G. Gordon Liddy. We're talking about Vietnam, all the politics of the the drug politics of the 80s, the drug politics of the 70s. You know, and the CIA uh, using, you know, smuggling drugs back to fund things, which is like that was going on in the 80s, too, supposedly. You know, they never admit that that's true, even though there's a preponderance of evidence that the CIA was involved in drug smuggling to fund operations off the books. Like, they'll yeah. still say to this day, like, that did not happen. Now, there's different variations of of it you know there's some, some people go as far to say is like oh the cia brought crack to america to to fund like huge anti-communist activities in central and south america which because remember iran contra like they got in trouble for trying to sell weapons and stuff to fund operations down there 
And so, but I don't know if I'd go that far, but I know they were involved in like lots of drug stuff, but that's the part of the CIA where it's like, these aren't the guys in suits do giving presentations in Langley. Like these are the crazy operatives like, Oh, you want results? Well, don't ask questions. Just give us, (laughs) yeah, this is what you want. And that stuff does go on. I mean, we learned from like Charlie Wilson's war. It's like, Oh, the CIA is kind of a fluid organization when it comes to like, how do we do things? When you're dealing with with countries that don't necessarily have like solid governments and so like currency and stuff aren't really like readily available where you can sway public there you know things like drugs american money guns like those are very you can convince people to do things if you give them all that stuff yeah i mean it it makes sense it's not a a completely wild ass conspiracy theory there's good logical reasons why it happened I mean, we'd rather they would be, like, smuggling corn for guns. Than... <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'd rather, like, actually bring democracy to Honduras. But in, in you know, in the absence of that, I guess this is what we do. It's like, well, we probably knew Pinochet was not a nice guy and was basically a, like, crypto Hitler kind of guy, but he wasn't a communist. So, therefore, eh, you know who Pinochet was, right? Yeah, that's yeah. uh, Peru, Peru, Peru. No, it was uh, who's the Peruvian dictator? I'm thinking of. It might be him. Let me look this up. <laughs> Chile. Chile. Okay. Yeah, I just uh, remember I read a book about that once and like what he did because uh, yeah, I mean we always hated communists down there and because um, we didn't want you know an arm of the tentacle of the Soviet Union right next to us and or another one because they had Cuba. But they, uh, yeah, there was some, that guy was like brutally evil. Yeah. Like he wasn't like, I'm going to imprison my rivals. It's like, oh, I'm just going to kill them and I'm going to do it in public and then I'm going to torture their families so no one else will oppose me. And it's like, whoa. And this guy was receiving billions of dollars from the U.S. in aid. Is and equipment and training and it's but it was all under the guise of like they're not communists it's like yeah but they're some other form of evil you know they're just yeah but they're not going to put nuclear weapons here from the russians if we if we stop them this way it's like do we have to stop them by torturing and murdering them can we give them like i don't can they make semiconductors maybe is there something (laughs) else we can do Oh, we must exploit them, too, for American corporations. Ah, there's the other side. Okay, <laughs> now now I understand. It's all coming together. Because remember, people in the world don't like us because they hate our freedom. It has nothing to do with all this other <laughs> stuff. It's because they hate our freedom. Anyway. Not because, not because their aunt was tortured to death because they didn't have sex with somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, it's our freedom. that It's a... It's a it's a it's a symbol of rage to the rest of the world. Has nothing to do. The with, world's just jealous. Yeah, <laughs> has nothing to do with the fact that we back the most murderous, brutal dictators and flood their country with drugs and uh, or, or anything else you could imagine. That, that's not the show we're doing here, but yeah, sometimes it's well, if, it's funny. If you've liked what you heard, and how couldn't you? How could you can you? find. <laughs> You can find us at anchor.fm slash Verhoeven Effect, or you can go to VerhoevenEffect.com. Uh, whatever podcast you, platform you're listening for, you can rate a podcast. You can rate whatever you want. The only thing to listen to is whatever the highest rating is. Um, at VerhoevenEffect.com, we have listener support where you can support us for a monthly stipend of either $0.99, cents, $0.49, $4.99, or 
We're also at Twitter at Verhoeven Effect, Facebook at Verhoeven Effect. We're at, on YouTube on a, at American Greed Factory. Um, and we can watch both that show and this show live and unedited. And we also have t-shirts at blowthecollar.com slash greed factory. So for the Verhoeven Effect podcast, this is Conlon. This is Nathan. Goodbye, America. <laughs>